That's the way they do control, ladies and gentlemen. Edgar Burgos, Bobby C. here with Step in the Arena. We've got a great show for you tonight. Definitely appreciate the shares and downloads on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And, of course, thanks for tuning in live on YouTube and Twitter. And how is it going, my friend? Uh, I like the new open. I, I, I like what Randy's doing. I can't wait till we get more more guests and uh, more people in our open. It's, it's, it's a major improvement. Shout out to Randy. Big shout out to Randy Cruz tonight and uh, some congrats to him as well. I saw some uh, graphics for him for the new Marcus Smart Um you know, stuff that was going on on social media. Maybe he'll have a chance to pop in at some point tonight and explain some of that because that's some pretty cool news for him. Yeah, you think he could get us Marcus Smart on the show or what? I, I would hope so. I, you know, I, I think all we do. I mean, you interfered with my dinner tonight. I was a little, a little <laughs> upset, but uh, I'm ready to go, man. I'm juiced up. I think by the intro. Yes, yes, I am juiced up. We have two great guests coming on today, so I'm, I'm definitely uh, excited. So without further ado, let's bring in our first guest this evening. We've got Frank Izola from ESPN's Around the Horn and PTI, Sirius XM NBA Radio's The Starting Lineup, and of course, the Brooklyn Nets on the Yes Network. Frank, how's it going? Good evening. Good. How are you guys doing? I haven't seen Edgar in a while. Bobby, Frank. I saw him when, when did we first meet? Were you in high school or college? Please say I you were in college. I was in college. You know, for part of this intro, I was actually going to tell everybody at home that you've got some jump shot. I got a chance to see it a lot when the Knicks were practicing up at Purchase College. So those, those were the days, player. right? Those was are a some friendly environment. And there was something else about those teams. Oh, that's right. They used to win and go to the playoffs. That's right. That's and a I long can, I can say, time I can say ago. Now, openly that Frank was one of my favorite people. <laughs> <laughs> That was a long time ago. You know, what Frank, what happened figured, for the last 20 years? Oh, I mean, man. they had one playoff series victory. Aye, aye, aye. I figured you'd appreciate my backdrop here tonight, Frank. I, I know for those that are probably going to listen into this, they're not going to get a chance to see it, but I'll just say what it is. Behind me, I've got the Georgia Tech Stefan Marbury jersey. I know Steph's such a big fan of you over the years. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. That is a sharp jersey. So hang on a second. He wore three. What number did Kenny Anderson wear? Did he wear seven at Georgia seven. Tech? Seven. And then what about Travis Best? 11? Number one. Number one. Ah, look at Edgar. Very good. Very good. <laughs> that, is, that is a sharp jersey. Yeah. Well, you know, it was interesting because I had said to the guys that one of the questions I did want to ask you tonight, I don't know if it's the best place to lead, but I thought it was cool. When we started doing this podcast and stuff, so much of it, of course, was on the Block Talk radio and many, many years ago when we were doing these podcasts, we actually did a show where we had Stefan Marbury on the show and Steph called you Frankie. I don't know. I defended you uh, because <laughs> you're a dear friend. And I always thought it was terrible that Marbury, but he lashed out at me that he actually made comments about the fact that the media does not know what it's talking about because we're always looking down, especially if you're typing and writing yeah, uh, yeah. some news articles and, and, that, and that kind of stuff. But uh, it definitely brought back some memories a couple of weeks ago because we had Baron Davis on the show. And Baron basically talked about the fact that a lot of the media just doesn't understand how difficult it is for James Harden to play at this high level uh, through the playoffs, you know, with all so the criticism hard. that he gets. So hard. Oh. All the criticism that he gets in the postseason. The poor players. Oh, it feels so bad for them. <laughs> so hard. Do the rest of us have hard jobs? I bet you there are times when your job is hard. I, yeah, I feel it's, it's hard quite often. I mean, yeah. especially when Let me ask you a question. You, dinner. I mean, it, you, you, know, you think they'd give you 10 seconds for you to explain how hard your job is? Probably not. So, you know what? That. Everyone has a difficult job. And I think when you play in the NBA and you're on a public stage, it's never going to be easy. And I think for a lot of the players today, 
they're dealing with stuff on social media. I think Stephon Marbury, probably his career in, you know, in the NBA was probably ending really before social media became a big deal. I will say this. That is a clever um, nickname, though. I like that. Frankie, Frank, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Hey, listen. It actually, Frank, okay. it ended up being the top-rated sports show on Blog Talk Radio back then. So it was a really great episode. And, uh, you know, very critical from Marbury to say that the media can't be critical of basketball players because we don't play basketball yeah, well, in the okay, NBA. That's, fair. that's 100% fair. So has he ever gone to a movie and has he criticized the movie? Because he's not a director, right? Has he ever eaten a meal and criticized the meal? Well, hang on a second. How can you criticize the meal? You're not a chef. That is the most absurd thing to say. Bill Belichick didn't play in the NFL. How is he as a coach? Does he know the game pretty well? Pretty Greg good. Popovich never coached. I never played in the NBA like that. Listen, is there something to be said for guys that have been through it? And I think most reporters that have a brain don't try to pretend that they know what that is like, but to say that people don't understand the game. And here's how you learn the game by talking to people around the league, coaches, scouts, other teammates. Listen, Stefan Marbury is a great player, but on a lot of the teams that he was on, not all of his teammates you know, we're crazy about him because as the point guard, he was a little too much about himself. And I think what hurt him the most was not the trade to New York, was the trade to Phoenix because he actually was playing well with the Phoenix Suns. And I think he liked all things being equal. I don't think he wanted to get traded to New York. I think he was fine staying in Phoenix. But I think what hurt him was Jason Kidd went to New Jersey and then everything just took off for the Nets. Now, granted, a lot of the other players got healthy. The roster got better. But when he got traded for Jason Kidd, Phoenix was a playoff team. They were a good team. But the Brooklyn Nets, I'm sorry, the New Jersey Nets were a two-time finals team. And remember, Jason Kidd that first year should have been the MVP of the league. It's almost like nobody knew what to expect. How how are we going to give it to a point guard? Now think about how many point guards have won it since Jason Kidd didn't win it. So I understand what Stephon Marbury is saying. I think he had a very good career. I don't think it ended well in the NBA. That happens sometimes. And I'm happy that he had a lot of success and made a lot of money in China. That's good for him. That was my same point about James Harden in the postseason. I, I, I absolutely love James Harden, but I can also say with the same token that he's just not been good come deep in the postseason and, of course, in the finals. Go ahead, Andrew. I actually disagreed with uh, Bobby C's take on it, and I agreed with uh, Barron's take on it, but go ahead. All right. Well, I was talking to an assistant coach, and this was when Harden was still in Houston, and there was a, you know, he was talking about telling his GM to take a run at Harden and try to uh, trade for him. He brought up a great point. He said that they, uh, one game they charted it, and he took 700 dribbles in the game. Remember there was a game where Clay Thompson scored 60-something points and he took like six dribbles the whole game. This coach's point was that James Harden is a terrific player, but that system that he was playing in, he's being asked to do so much. He's dribbling the ball so much, coming up against pressure, that late in games, when you want to be at your best, now granted everyone's going to be a little tired, that he was really tired. So he had less lift in his jump shot because his legs were a little worn down from having to control the game so much with his dribbling and this coach felt if we put him in with our team we can kind of spare him that and i think also that's what the nets are thinking because i think with you know durant Kyrie Irving, you have other guys that could make plays so you're not going to be asking james harden to just have the ball for 20 of the 24 seconds on a shot clock because i think he can win i like james Harden. james harden as edgar knows he's old school he goes to strip clubs and he plays basketball you know what 
and he loves playing. I'll take a dude. Like, I don't really care what you're doing as long as it's legal. If you show up and play, I take you on my team, and that's James Hart. And speaking of uh, another point guard from obviously the area, uh, Kyrie Irving, uh, what do you think about the whole situation? What, what happened with him and you know him taking off and now coming back? And do you think that him and Durant and Harden will mesh? Yeah, I could look out. You know, he doesn't live that far from me. I'll look out my window. I'll see if he's. Uh, I'll see if he's home right now. The whole thing was odd because they played the Utah Jazz on a Wednesday night, and I thought it was his best game as a member of the Brooklyn Nets. Kevin Durant wasn't playing. The Harden trade hadn't been made yet, and Kyrie was great. Uh, he's always great offensively. Defensively is where he struggles, but he was locked in that night. And then all of a sudden he was gone for two weeks, and he never really provided an explanation. But to just think that everyone should just say, oh, "Okay, you you just left for two weeks," he kind of hinted at maybe it was mental health, maybe some of the things going on in the country. He hinted at like a family issue. Yet he was at that birthday party for his sister, which got him in trouble with the league because of COVID protocol. And then he appeared on that Zoom call, that political event. So. Whatever was going on that prevented him from showing up for work, he was still showing up for other things. So that's what I think hurt him. And my thing is with Kyrie Irving, whatever the reason is, and I think everyone was getting, well, who are you to say, you know, if he's got an issue, that's fine. But, you know, what you can't tell me for sure is how do I know he's not going to do this again? How do I know that on the eve of the playoffs, he's not going to need two weeks off? Or in the middle of a playoff series, he's going to need two weeks off. So to me, I think he's a great player. I think you'd have to be fair. He's a little unreliable. And I think his absence really led them to get James Harden because I think the organization felt, all right, we have this great player in Kevin Durant. We can't waste these years. And right now, Kyrie, it's a little up in the air. Yes, we're giving up a lot to get James Harden, but we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to Kevin Durant to make a run. And as you guys know, because you, know, you, you guys understand the game, I mean, how good has Kevin Durant been? It's, it's a joke how good of a player that dude is. That guy, conversation. he's incredible. He really is. Frank, I wanted to go from one enigma to another here and kind of toss it back to those good old Nick days. Last week on Thursday, had you been on the show, but I know it was past your bedtime, <laughs> I did want to ask you about uh, one trade that will always live on in Nick lore. It was the 22nd anniversary of Latrell Sprewell going to the Knicks, and I know our fans that are watching on YouTube can see right behind you your great book, Just Balling, about that NBA Finals team. I wanted to ask you if you ever thought about – those days, because again, 20 years have flown by pretty quickly. Three, a three for one trade that sends Sprewell to the Knicks and, and maybe the real last great Knicks team that we've had. Yeah, I think you're right. And I also think at that time, the mentality in the Knicks organization was a little bit different. You know, obviously, Patrick Ewing, you know, you were hanging on for those last few years of Patrick and they wanted to make one more run at it. And I think it was just a different type of environment. You know, Jim Dolan at that time was involved in ownership, but he wasn't really involved too much in the day-to-day -day operation of the team. It was more Mar uh, Mark Lusgardner, who sadly passed away a few years later. But, the, you know, those were great times because Luttrell, for people who don't remember, he was like America's number one sports villain. He was really like the ultimate outcast. And he came to New York, and Edgar knows this. He did such a great job. Everywhere we went on the road, the media would interview Latrell Sprewell, if it was Cleveland, Detroit, Chicago, whatever the city was, everyone wanted to hear Latrell's story and what's it like to be back. He could not have been more gracious with the media. I think he handled it the right way. He really won a lot of people over, which was good for his image. And then I think on the court, I think at, at the start, it was a little slow going, everyone trying to figure out 
kind of their role. But when it all came together, that was like a magical run that they had in 99. But you know what? I covered. I started covering the beat 95, 96. That was great. They upset Cleveland in the first round. 97 was the fight with Miami. 98, obviously, they beat Miami again, lose to Indiana. And then, of course, the great run that they made in 99. You know, the energy of the Garden, and you guys know this when you've been there, for those playoff games in the late 90s, there was nothing like that. You know, the energy was so – it was so raw, and people were so into the team. And that's why it's sad what's kind of happened over the last 20 years. The people still go to the Garden, but it's really not the same. I, I get it. They have a great fan base, but people really haven't felt like that in more than 20 years. Edgar and I always debate about the great teams from the late 90s, and for both of us, we talk about that 97 team because I think that might have been the best chance that the Knicks actually had to win the whole thing. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Jeff Van Gundy has said that before as well. You know, that was – you know the, they had gone out and they had made all those big moves. They had gotten Larry Johnson in a trade with Anthony Mason. They signed Allen Houston and they signed Chris Childs. It was a great mix – of young players, old players, they were deep. That you know, they went. You know, Jeff was only going to play about eight or nine guys, but they had a solid eight or nine. And if you remember, they closed out the regular season on a winning streak. I believe they might have won their last three games of the regular season. Then they sweep uh, Charlotte in the first round. Back then, it was best three out of five, so that's a six-game winning streak. Then they beat Miami in the first game, so they were on a seven-game winning streak going into that game two. They didn't play well in game two. Uh, in Miami, then they come back home, obviously, and then we all know what happened with the fight in Game Five, which changed everything. It's really a, an awful moment. It's funny, you know. I'm doing this book with Charles Oakley, and I go back and look at some of these fights that have happened over the years. Uh, you know, like the the thing that Kurt Rambis did, or I'm sorry, that Kevin McHale did to Kurt Rambis. They didn't even get ejected from the game. Yeah, no. Here we have like Patrick Ewing is hovering 20 feet from a melee, kind of looking around to see what's going on. He got suspended for a game. To me, that was their best chance because, you, as you guys know, the final night of the season, they beat Chicago in Chicago. Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen played. I know that's crazy nowadays, like for two guys, two star players to play in the final game of what would necessarily be a meaningless game. But I agree with you guys. I think that 96-97 team, they should have played Chicago in the conference finals. Now, I know there's a lot of Nick fans that listen. I still believe, because I'm a big Michael Jordan guy, I felt like Michael Jordan would find a way to win four games. It's hard to beat Michael Jordan four times at you know in the 90s, as everybody found out. See, Ed, I, Ed, I got to disagree with you, my friend, because I, I'm going to take you know Frank Isola's side here. He's the 2015 New York Sports Writer of the Year. He's got an Emmy <laughs> Award. I'm going to just say, I'm going to say, fuck you, Baron Davis. Fuck you, Stephon Marbury. I'm doing it on the show, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I totally disagree. I, I that year that was uh the closest team I've I, you know twenty years I've ever seen. Um, the second closest team was uh the team that we lost in the second round uh six years. The last time they went to the second round, so what six seven years ago? Yeah. that was the second closest team that I've ever seen. But I really felt that that year they were so confident, and Larry Johnson was such a leader. You know, Oak was in that locker room. Um, you know, Patrick was still playing well. I think they would have beat – I think that series would have won six, seven games, but the Knicks would have beat them. And if you guys remember, for that game five, the Knicks are up 3-1. And it was this – like, we're all thinking, will they start the finals early? Will the Knicks go right from Miami to Chicago after game five? Will the NBA try to speed up that series to start it a little bit early, the Eastern Conference Finals? So we're trying to figure – like, we all just assumed – it was a fait accompli 
that the Knicks were going to close out Miami because they were better than Miami. Miami, you know, with Pat Riley and Alonzo Mourning and Tim Hardaway, you know, that was a competitive, tough team. But the Knicks were just, to me, the Knicks outclassed them. And, the you know, the last couple of minutes of that game five where everything changed, I really think the NBA missed out. Patrick Ewing certainly missed out. Yeah. So that really was, ended up being his last best chance because he was healthy at the time. You know, that's, you know, it was the following season when he broke his wrist in that game against Milwaukee. You know, I, I, I think we all kind of missed out because I think that would have been a classic battle. Plus, you have Jeff Van Gundy and Phil Jackson, Patrick Michael Jordan, Oak against Dennis Rodman. It would have been, there would have been some great, you know what? The Knicks got in a fight one round too early. They would have gotten a fight the next round. That would have been better. So the funny thing is, Frank, I remember uh, in my 10-year anniversary at the NBA, and I had, you know, you get a special lunch with David Stern, and, you know, you get to sit down with him, ask him any questions. I was like, I got, you know, one question. Why did you suspend Patrick Ewing? What did he He started laughing. He's like, we're still talking about this years later? I was like, if, if anybody, that's the only guy they want to get suspended. We would have won if he would have played. I, I, you know, I've heard like from some people like, well, it's actually worse that he was just kind of on the court. He should have run into the scrum. But like to me, it's like a natural thing. I mean, we all watch the games now. The minute something happens, the assistant coaches instinctively hold their arms up. But, you know, so the game is in Miami. So whatever camera angles they have, you know, like maybe Miami had film of the Knicks leaving the bench. If Miami had film of their players leaving the bench, you think they were going to turn that over to the league? So you mean to tell me it's happening right in front of the Nick bench and everyone is leaving the bench, but nobody on the Miami bench is, is leaving the bench. Come on now. That's just yeah. – but you're not looking. Everyone, once a fight breaks out, if it's over there into the basket, we're all looking that way. We don't know what's happening back here. You don't think some of the Miami Heat players walk two steps off the bench? It would be impossible if they didn't, especially at a time when it wasn't an instinctive thing for assistant coaches to hold their arms out and say, whoa, whoa, get back on the bench. Yeah, I want to. Um, Nick's got screwed. It. Let's be fair. Nick's got screwed. No, they definitely did. I want to take it up to current to the current Knicks and uh, talk about the job that you think uh, Tom Thibodeau is doing right now. Yeah, I think. I mean, I you, you know you and I know Tom for a long time. I like Tom. I think he does a great job. I think he's all about basketball. Everything that he's doing is to try to make the team better, try to make the players better. And I think if you look at the last place that he was at was Minnesota, and when he was there, Carl Anthony Towns had his best year. Andrew Wiggins played really well for them. Jimmy Butler played really well. They were in third place in the Western Conference. Then Jimmy Butler got hurt. They still made the playoffs. That was the best season they've had in Minnesota in 13 or 14 years. That made the playoffs for that long. Now that he's been gone, I believe they're 30, as of late January, they're 39 and 82 since Tom left. It's just the guy just pushes players to do great things. And then everyone say, well, what about all he runs guys into the ground? Well, hang on a second now. I'll start rattling off some – I'm not going to bore you, but I'll rattle off some players that have suffered significant injuries over the past couple of years. Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Gordon Hayward, right? Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie just suffered an injury. Chris Stapps Przingis suffered one. We can go – John Wall had a bunch of injuries. Tom didn't coach any of those players. Guys in the NBA get hurt. Everyone just loves to talk, oh, he runs players into the ground. Really? When Derrick Rose – was a free agent. He went running back to Minnesota to play for Tom. And he'd play for him today if he could. So all, all that stuff is just nonsense. It's just because Tom doesn't play the game with the media. He's not, you know, Mr. Media friendly and all this other nonsense during a season. 
If he's out of a job, you can talk to Tom. When he's in a job, he's Edgar knows he's completely just locked in on trying to make the players better. And by the way, the players that play for Tom all get better and they all get paid. Isn't that what the players want? If you were a player in the NBA, wouldn't you want to A, get better and then get paid? They all get paid when they play for Tom because they all end up improving. And if I were an owner of a team of GM, that's all I want. I don't need my coach making public appearances, doing everything else. The Knicks right now, when they talk about community service, the best thing the Knicks can do for the community is start winning games. That would help the community. That would lift everybody up a little bit. I was going to say, do you like the job um, that Leon and Wes have, have done to build the team so far to this point? The Kentucky Knicks. They get the best uh, Kentucky players. I loved it in trading camp. On the radio show that I do in the morning, uh, we said that the Knicks, after they win games, are going to play My Old Kentucky Home. That's the <laughs> song that they play at the Kentucky Derby. That's going to be the Knicks' new fight song. I guess now they only have three or four guys. I think it's four guys from Kentucky on the team. So it's not as uh, it's not as bad as before. I think – you know what? I give them credit. I think they're being patient. Like would I have thought about going out and getting Gordon Hayward? I think that I think he would have helped them. I think he's playing really well for Charlotte. There were other moves. I think now looking at Russell Westbrook, that would have been a mistake on my part. It's probably the best that they didn't go after him. But what they're doing is what Tom has done. The players look at the value now of the guys on the team, starting with Julius Randle. Those guys are getting better. And that's what you need. You need to get better, and you need to start winning games. And I understand on that West Coast trip, it was tough. They played a very good Utah team, which is beating everybody. The Knicks are going to get better, and he's in, he's increasing the values of the players they have. So when you look down the road with trades, trading your guys and draft picks, the Knicks are in a position, maybe not in free agency because all these big-time free agents keep signing with their own teams, but they'll be in a position to make a, a trade for a really good player. Frank, how about Bradley Beal for the Knicks? I mean, he's just killing it in D.C., and I would think he wants to get out of there. I'm pretty sure yeah. he would sign up for playing with the Knicks. Yeah, and well, and look at what the market is right now. I mean, Drew Holiday is a terrific player. Think about what New Orleans got for him. They got a lot of draft picks, and now you look at what the Houston Rockets got for James Harden. Now, Harden is more accomplished than Bradley Beal. He's been an MVP in the league. He's been to an NBA Finals. He's been to a Conference Finals. He's led the league in scoring. You know, they got, think about the haul that they got. So I would think Washington, if they ever do reach that point, and for me, I think it would probably happen after the season. I don't think you're going to make a trade of that magnitude now. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think after the season, and they're going to look for a lot. Remember, guys, if they had made a trade with Golden State, they could have gotten the number two overall pick, which they could have drafted James Wiseman. And then they could have had Minnesota's pick, which belongs to the Warriors, which is lottery protected at number three. So there's a chance that could be the fourth pick of the draft, and Golden State is going to get that pick. And then next year, it's so if it's a top three pick this year, next year it's unprotected. Something tells me Minnesota will be back in the lottery next year. So that's a valuable pick that the uh, Golden State Warriors have. Another guy that I like for the Knicks that I mentioned to Edgar was Zach Levine from Chicago. He's also playing out of this world right now. Yeah, he's been, he's been really good. You, know, It's weird about him, and I think this is the difference between – Players like him and, say, a guy like James Harden has been an MVP. Like, Zach Levine is going to put up big numbers, but does he really control the game? Like, when you when there comes a moment in a game where you need him to, I don't know, whether slow the game down or make a play, he's a terrific player. But to me, that's what separates kind of – he's a borderline all-star. That's what separates those guys from the guys that are the, you know, the superstars in the league. I said the same thing. I said he's playing really well, but – 
how, you know, he's always been on a bad team. So we don't know. Yeah, I know. And I will say this. I think, you know, um, Chicago, much like the Knicks, Billy Donovan is a very good coach. And look at what they've done already. They got off to a really bad start the first two or three games. I think they lost. But, you know, Billy Donovan knows what he's doing as well. And the value of all those players will go up. That's why it's pretty cool. You you could start to see something with both the Knicks and the Bulls. Maybe they'll both, you know, crack into the top 10. You, you finish 10th, you're technically in the playoffs, which I think for the Knicks, the worst thing that could have happened to all those teams who didn't go to the bubble, you missed out on all that game time, practice time. I think the Knicks would be over the moon if they got the uh, – if they finished 1 through 10. No, nah, what's crazy, I, like for your career, Frank, you know, you've worked with the Knicks. Now you working with the Nets. Like your career is like, to, to me, has always been amazing. Like how does it feel now Now you're working on the Brooklyn side? Yeah, it's been it's been really cool. Listen, I loved uh, covering the Knicks the last few years there. Just, you know, to me it wasn't that friendly of an environment and the team was terrible. It just, it wasn't a lot of fun. It certainly wasn't what it was like in the 90s when, it's interesting, right? The stakes were high in the 90s, and there was a lot of tension around there. And not every day was perfect. And, you know, sometimes, whether it's Dave Checkets or it's a player on the roster or it's Edgar, someone is going to be mad at the media, but it <laughs> seemed like everybody got over it. It seemed like after a while, and Edgar would know this, that the whole culture there was just keeping score in the media, and that's what they became obsessed with. They weren't obsessed with winning. It was just obsessed with controlling the narrative and – trying to control people in the media. And once, and so here we are 20 years later, how'd that work out for you? All to me, if I'm a fan of a team, I just care about the results and I get it. There's going to be sometimes where things are great. Sometimes when things are bad, but that's what they obsessed over all those times. And now being with the Brooklyn Nets or, you know, doing the games on the yes network, it's exciting because Kevin Durant, you know, it's, it's kind of similar to Kawhi Leonard. When Kawhi went to Toronto, like, you knew that Kawhi was a great player, but you hadn't seen him in a year. And then you're like, wow, this guy is really good. It's the same thing with Durant. He missed 560 days. It's not like we didn't know that Kevin Durant was a great player. But now that you see him every day, and if you're living in New York, chances are you can. Maybe in other parts of the country, you're not going to watch League Pass and the net games. But you watch this guy play, just his presence on the court. He never takes a bad shot. He He's unselfish. He he defends. He, you could tell that he cares about his teammates. He's been great in the post-game interviews. To me, he's handled everything. It's been like A-plus, in my opinion, for Kevin Durant, especially considering how much time he had missed with a career-threatening injury. Frank, uh, we're running out of time, but we wanted to get – Yeah, one more good question in before we let you go. And wanted to thank you again for joining us tonight. But uh, both Edgar and I have advocated for trying to see LeBron James maybe get some more greatness this year. We talked about one anniversary last week with uh, Sprewell coming to New York 22 years ago. This is a tough week a lot for a lot of NBA fans with the one-year anniversary of Kobe Bryant's passing. Want to get your thoughts on the NBA still mourning Bryant and if the Lakers could maybe continue to have it as motivation to win another championship this year, LeBron James. Yeah, in February of 2019, the NBA had uh, called up Sirius and they were looking for someone to host an event that Kobe Bryant was having at the NBA store. He'd come out with a book, very similar uh, uh, it's like a, it was a fictional book about wizardry and things like that. And they were looking for someone to host it. And they asked me if I wanted to do it. And I, I fig figured, well, they must've asked 20 people that couldn't do it. 
then they went back and asked those same 20 people. And then they said, all right, if Frank's available, we'll take him. But I was there that night with uh, Tom Thibodeau and Kobe, and it was at the NBA store, and there were a lot of young kids there. And it was, you know, I've known Kobe from covering the league. He's such a great guy. And he and Tom have a relationship going back to when Kobe was a high school player and Tom was an assistant in Philadelphia. And Kobe would come up to the Sixers practices over at St. Joe's University, and Tom would work with him. He's working with this 13-year-old kid teaching him moves, and Kobe's always talked about that all throughout his life. And, you know, even that day, he was talking a lot about how he's kind of shifted his focus to his daughters and especially Gigi, who was becoming, who had the same passion for basketball that he had. And then, you know, a month before he passed, I was doing the net game that night on the S network. And that was the game that Kobe was at with Gigi when they sat courtside, because she was a big fan of Trey young. They'd flown to New York to, I think do Christmas shopping, believe it or not. It was like a father daughter kind of trip. And they went to that net game. And then it was a month later. And when I heard the news, I, I couldn't believe it. I was really shaken up for a, for a few days. To me, obviously, the hardest part was thinking about, you know, those young girls that were on that helicopter. Their lives were ahead of them. And I would think Kobe would say, you know what? I lived a lot of my life in 43 years. I, he still had a lot to offer. And I think he had a lot to offer the women's game. And I think when his kids got older, I think he would have come back to the Lakers probably as a GM. He probably would have figured, you know what? I'll be better than Jerry West. And you know what? He probably would have been because that's just Kobe Bryant. But that was... That was really, really tough. And every time you see the pictures of him and his daughter, it's uh, it's heartbreaking. It really is. And any closing thoughts for Frank Isola? Nah, Frankie Ice, as uh, Charles Barkley likes to call you. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, you guys look good, man. Keep it up. You guys look good. And good nah, luck. You know, just good luck the do you think the Nets got? Uh, do you think the Nets will win the title? Here's what I think: they they must know that they're getting somebody either via a trade or in a buyout because defensively they're not good enough. And DeAndre Jordan, I think, is more of a backup. So are they going to get Andre Drummond in the buyout market? Is it going to be JaVale McGee? There must be somebody out there that they know that they're getting because they still have roster spots available. But defensively, they got to get a lot better. They don't stop anybody. They could score like nobody's business, but they can't stop you. Frankie certainly knows. Not Frankie, I don't know. Frank Isola. <laughs> Great stuff tonight. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Good luck.